You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hey, everyone. I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to TFM's local books and comic show for Star Trek, and I'm just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and I'm so excited because with me, as he is pretty much all the time, Bruce Gibson. Hey, it's so good to be here, and I trust you're doing well, Matthew. Well, I, I'm I'm kind of worried because, you know, uh, well, I noticed that you have a goatee and I'm not quite sure that if are you the mirror version of you and this podcast is going to go off the rails very quickly or did you just decide you needed the mirror look today? I decided to do the mirror look today. Yes. I don't know. I just have a habit of switching up my facial hair or not having facial hair and whatever. And I haven't had a goatee in years. So I thought I'll do a goatee because, you know, I've been watching stuff like 1883 on Paramount Plus and I was yes. like, I want to look like I'm a cowboy. Like Casey does. Yes. Well, I'm excited to have Casey back, and Casey has a beard that I am jealous of. So how are you doing, Casey? I am good, and I, I trust that you are both well because of the spies that I have inserted into your lives, and you're going to be totally shocked by, um, because we don't all do that, apparently, if you read this book. I... um. Now I'm really worried, so maybe we should just uh, dive into everything. But uh, before we do that, of course, you know, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. And, you know, if you happen to be on somewhere like Apple or Spotify, you can rate us as well as on Apple. You can give us a, a written review. So we'd really appreciate that. It's been a long time since anybody's reviewed literary treks and so help the show grow um that would be great and we'll read your review out in the show you can also find us on twitter at trek fm or on facebook at facebook.com slash trek fm or on instagram at trek fm and of course we've got the listeners only discussion group called the babel conference you can join um and uh, maybe you would like to be like one of our illustrious associate producers like casey pettit and or greg rosier who make sure that literary treks as well as the entire network keeps coming to you each and every week through their support on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can be part of the team, and we would really appreciate that as we are now headlong into 2022, which is kind of crazy. Which means, guys, before we get to talking about Mere War Part 4, which I'm still not sure whether Bruce is a part of or not. Uh, maybe that's why his facial hair is celebrating how much he's loving the comic. But before we get to that, we do have some book news about a brand new book that is going to be coming out in November from David Mack. And wow, guys, this one's kind of cool for a lot of people who are big fan of the Vanguard series because 
Well, this is tying into that. So, and I know you guys are both so pumped. Yes, absolutely. I know Casey and I are both pumped for Vanguard. I mean, this isn't a Vanguard no- novel. It's a TOS novel tied into to Vanguard. But yeah, I mean, I, I it's it's amazing to me because... I know I said something recently to David Mack about Vanguard, about, you know, could we ever see that coming back? And he's like, it's done. There's nothing more to say. The story's done. I doubt we'll ever revisit it. And little did I know that he was working on this. Well, and it's kind of cool, too, because, you know, we're seeing more and more uh, novels coming out that take place during the series. And I guess... This one probably takes place after the original series, but um, to tie it to be able to tie it into Vanguard and continue telling some of those stories is pretty cool, um, and hopefully a good way to get newer readers who are starting to see these books coming out, and maybe newer fans, uh, getting them into some of these books. And heck, this would be a good way for somebody to get into the Vanguard series if they read this one and want to know more about it. David did say over on Trek BBS that I think this is supposed to take place after doomsday machine yes that's uh, right so uh it you know it's, it's set during the original series and it'll cross over basically you know i guess somehow with uh the station vanguard and those characters that you knew from that series but you know i mean what i was interested in is that you know there's rumors swirling around as well that we're going to be getting a and this is not confirmed just been hearing rumors that we're going to be getting a strange new worlds book by john jackson miller as well this year and i was wondering would they possibly bring vanguard in as something they would do on screen because like why would you basically legitimize that series that station with this type of book if maybe you weren't going to utilize some of those ideas possibly so i i have no idea this is just my thought process that you 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 know or maybe they're just thinking you know where are the books that we could maybe say yeah these books are you know in line and would be in line with Everything else, there there wouldn't be anything in them that would be um, something that would go against what we'll, you'll see on screen on canon. So, you know, I, I don't know. I'm just I'm really spitballing here, but it, it seems like that could be a really interesting and cool thing. So, yeah, I would love that. Uh, I don't expect that they will, at least for a while, do any kind of tie in between Vanguard and Strange New Worlds because. What happens in Vanguard and that station's operations starts after Strange New Worlds. But yeah, Strange New Worlds mm-hmm. could catch up to that. And especially you could work in some of those characters. It would be cool to work in some of those characters or other novel verse characters into a Strange New Worlds novel. So I would mm-hmm. love to see that. But now the station design for Vanguard was used in the remastered TOS there was an episode i can't remember which episode but they took that station design when they were doing the uh the new versions of tos Mm -hmm. with the new uh visuals and cg and all that and you see the vanguard like station in one of the episodes that that's cool and i i mean i know that david mack has been working with prodigy he's been working with cbs and paramount plus on prodigy and you know, Dayton Warren's been involved and then obviously Kirsten Byer. So I don't like 
I agree with Bruce. I, I doubt that they would like tie it in so closely, at least in the TV series. But yeah, I think they could easily have slipped in some characters or anything like that. And just because David Mack has said he's done with Star Trek right now, as far as working on the shows, they always seem to be pretty tight lipped about exactly what their involvement is, um, you know, outside of what's already been announced. So, you know, maybe he got to throw some ideas that way towards Strange New Worlds. Mm-hmm. Kind of cool to find out. Yeah. Uh, again, just complete speculation. But, uh, you know, it, it seemed like uh, if we were going to kind of legitimize this series in any way like this, um, why not? You know, um, and, you know, even if it didn't necessarily tie into, you know, um, the series in the uh, in the sense of like, obviously, this takes place after where you would be in the timeline with Strange New Worlds doesn't mean you can't use the station and the characters that were created, you know, um, uh, so that could all be really fun as well. But um, yeah, so got some some book news, which is exciting because right now <laughs> the only book that we knew for sure coming out was going to be Una McCormick's new book, uh, the Picard book, and then of course the audio drama that we're going to be getting Picard wise. Uh, this is the only other book right now that we know is actually coming out in 2022. So um, we'll see what else comes up, but. We do have Mere War Issue 4, which try to say that five times fast. And so, guys, did this issue get better or worse, or what do you think? I'm glad that they finally progressed the story, although it happened in the matter of, like, a page. <laughs> they <laughs> they just all of a sudden end up on the, on the uh, Fondori homeworld and with two pages of help from Mirror Cisco and... Mm-hmm. Uh, an intendant Kira that looked more like Major or Colonel Kira, really, and then Ro Laren, who is in it because we want to see her, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, it's finally taking, like, so we didn't get Deep Space Nine like we were, like, got in the last page, I think, mm-hmm. of the, the previous issue. But, you know, overall, as a story, it, it finally kind of went somewhere, and, you know, Picard is now in control i guess of this ship building facility and you know they've got six more issues of this to go i think that was going to be 10 issues so we <laughs> bruce is making faces i don't think he's <laughs> excited about that but, i was wondering how many issues i couldn't remember yeah. so it's just kind of like okay well they made they i guess they did now what i thought they were going to do in this series they got to the fondori homeworld and took control of it so now what could possibly go from here i guess is anybody's guess i'm glad you said 10 issues because i i couldn't remember how many issues are supposed to be so that makes a lot of sense because it's taken us a while to get to this point you know i mean that's what's been happening over the last few issues of getting to the fondori world we got to get there we got to get there we're taking little detours or whatever but you're right it's like all of a sudden they're they're trying to evade you know, Worf and others are finding out where they're going to go. So they decide they're going to go and do the slingshot thing. And the next thing you know it, they're there. And I was like, oh, wow. I wasn't expecting that so soon. Like, I thought there was going to be probably another battle or something or whatever. We still wouldn't get to this. So we still have a few issues now that we're on the fan. Now that we're on the Fondori world, we can spend more time there doing whatever. So I, I, okay, to your question, Matt, has it gotten better or worse or whatever? To me, it's about the same. But to Casey's point, at least now we've gotten here so the story could progress. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we got here. 
Uh, and I still don't care. So, um, because there's no reason to care. Uh, and there was a slightly interesting idea, I guess, about data being hooked into their machine that helps them create everything, which is like the unity or something like that. And, uh, you know, I, okay. Um, I just, this, if this is really a 10 issue series, um, or, or did you say there are 10 more issues? There's, I think there's going to be 10 total. So there's six 10 more. total. Okay, six more. Um, that's ten too many. So, like, <laughs> I just don't, like, I'm not trying to be mean, but I also just don't understand, like, if you are going to write a comic, it really should be something that makes it worth it for the reader to purchase the comic. And none of these issues so far have been worth the purchase because nothing has happened or nothing interesting has happened. And that's that's a lot of comics so far for nothing interesting to happen in a short run series, which is only 10 comics. So, um, yeah, I mean, hopefully this series finds a way to turn around with the next six. But so far, I'm I'm just utterly frustrated with the the series and reading it every week or you know every other week when it comes out and i'm like i why i mean if we weren't having to cover it for the show i definitely wouldn't be reading it because it's you know i got other things to read that are more interesting and and this one is just you know when you're doing tie-in anything the most important thing is to captivate the audience and make you feel like it's an important thing that they're reading and this just hasn't had that, which is disappointing. But I would say that I'm getting a little more interested because they're at this world where now they can build a fleet and try to take over the Empire. And so I'm interested mm-hmm. to see that happen. So I hope it doesn't sure. take long. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, and heck, I, you know, I'm only speaking for myself here. And so, uh, you know, I'm definitely glad that you know, for you, Bruce, there's a little bit more interest there so far. Again, they could totally turn it around. You know, you still have six issues left uh, to to be able to do that. And so definitely my hope is, is that's the case. Well, my, my hope would be that some of these things that we've seen in the first four issues, like that foray to the Cardassian listening post or whatever it was, like, mm-hmm. that seems so out of place. Like, maybe they're going to circle back to that somehow. But I mean, yeah. this issue by itself well one the ending of it got to where we were at the the end of the previous series when barkley had found the the fondori to begin with and so now we're like four issues plus a zero issue into mm-hmm. this one and we finally got in there but like this issue kind of almost encapsulates how the series has gone so far that there's like a bunch of just little things that happen like that it opens with this weird car chase on the holodeck you know with picard that does nothing like literally nothing for the story at least so far and then you know yeah the like you said the whole thing with data and then stuff with cisco were just like just bouncing all over the place and then they land on the fundori homeworld and they're like we're here and you know we've got this like i mean this should have been issue zero (laughs) really so yeah i just i i'm 
I'm I'm hoping it gets better. I I hope that there are some payoffs to some of this stuff. But I mean, it really brings up the question: like, how long should uh, a story take to tell? And this one, it's almost like they decided that we're going to have a ten ten issue series, and we need to figure out how to fill that up now. That's kind of how it's felt, at least up till now. Well, that holodeck scene, that was interesting because, yeah, the car chase in the 70s, right? I mean, that's what Captain Picard's going to do in his off time. But what's interesting to me is the safety <laughs> protocols are turned off. So when the when the car, and I love it's in the 70s because it's so typical of a 70s TV series where a car flips and explodes, you know. Right. But with the safety protocols off, it explodes and it damages the holodeck in the ship. <laughs> is that a first we've seen on the holodeck that an explosion like that that the holodeck creates actually destroys the holodeck i i think you're right yeah which is pretty funny i mean and and, and that was a moment where as i was reading i was like we are literally just trying to fill up space right now in a comic instead of like getting to the point and um it cracked me up i i could not believe that we were doing that um but I guess it's par for the course with this comic so far. So, I mean, in many ways, it's it's not that unusual. But yes, Bruce, that was actually pretty funny to see, you know, this Picard in basically a scene from Bullet. Yes. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, then we found out who the assassin, the guy who was attempting yeah. to kill Picard is. And it's Wayland, the ship historian. I didn't see that coming. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, those historians, they're up to no good. So... So, right. <laughs> oh, man. Well, um, I don't know. I, you know, I like we all said, hopefully it gets better. But I feel like that we possibly maybe just might have a good book to talk about. So maybe we should jump into our feature. Well, I'm jumping in feet first. So we are here. Uh, at the very last book in the 24th century saga that we have not covered after this, we'll be caught up because after this, I believe it's the fall that starts. Am I correct in that? I think that is correct, right? Or Cold Equations comes after this. Cold Equations, you're right. Yes, Cold Equations, and then I think it's the fall. The fall. And there's yeah. some other books that go in between all that that we've covered as well here on the show. But this is the, me the the last major one that we hadn't covered. We covered it a little bit, and I think it was like in the second episode with Una McCormick um, back in the day. Um, but this will be, you know, our official own own review. Um, so since that that episode wasn't just about this book specifically and so this book though is the cold war for star trek i mean this is clearly exactly i mean this is the cuban missile crisis in star trek um which i thought was a phenomenal idea here with the setup that they've been doing with the typhon pack this felt perfect yeah and we finally get the Zenkethi, like a really good Zenkethi story. I feel like they've been a little bit pushed into the background. Um, and, and I was going into it wondering if they were going to have all of the powers coming together for, you know, whatever the story was going to be. But I, I really like how she really just kept it, um, you know, the way she did with the Zenkethi and kind of um, the, you know, trying to take over the... Um, I don't know how to say it, the Venetans or something like that, mm -hmm. <laughs> that, 
you know, and and who who felt slighted by the Federation, and so now they're going to mm-hmm. basically the Federation's enemy. And so, like, yeah, I, I nothing's going to wake up the Federation more than somebody that they were negotiating before, like the Borg attacked, and you know all the other things that have happened lately. Uh, than than those uh, previous friends, you know, are are going to their enemies. So, you know, it just as as far as like an overall setup for the story, yeah, this was a, a great a great idea, and um, yeah, never knew. Like, if you're not if if you're not caught up on the reading, like I'm not, like you never know there could be a whole other war coming when you start reading this book. So, I'm glad it didn't uh, didn't get there though. But you know, the Venets, they're very peaceful and they're very mild and very transparent. And I hadn't thought about it until you were just talking, Casey, but I thought, you know, if anybody in here, I probably trust the most, it's them, even more so than the Federation, because you're right, the Federation turned their back on them, uh, but not in a in a violent or, you know, an FU kind of way. It was just like, you know, things happen, other things they have to focus on. And then the Zen Kathy comes in and says, oh, okay, we'll be your friends. We'll you know, make a pact with you guys. And, you know, that, and then all of a sudden the Federation's back and like, oh, well, we want to be friends. And the Venets are like, well, we want to be friends with you. And then you left and then I made another friend. And now you want to be friends with me because I'm friends with this other people. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, who, you know, who do you trust in this? But the Venets are the most mm-hmm. trustworthy. Yeah. I mean, I think, it was really cool to watch Una craft this story with the idea of basically a Cuban Missile Crisis. And really that has to do with the setup from every other Typhon Pack book leading to this moment where the galaxy is in a state to which that could happen. Where war could break out at any moment because people are unwilling to trust one another. And I think... Like you guys are saying, the idea of trust is so important in this book because it's who do you trust? Like in a galaxy of broken trust, even among quote unquote friends, who can you trust? And I found the, the way that the book works through all this and even where the book leaves itself, it's like it's not an easy answer. Well, and you you also can't really trust those that uh, in the higher ups, you know, because there's mm-hmm. Doctor Crusher being sent on this mission, and she's like, "Why? Why would I be involved in this? This isn't my thing. I'm not the diplomatic officer or anything. I'm I'm the medical officer." And and they come up with some you know re- weird excuse, you know, whatever. And at that point, even I was starting to wonder: Can we trust the upper echelon at Starfleet? because it seems like they're up to something and they're not really being forthcoming as to why Crusher is there. Well, just, yeah, the, and especially when the, those, uh, the Admiralty or whoever, you know, in Starfleet were really kind of working with the Cardassians to set up that whole, um, kind of tantrum, I guess, that the Cardassian ambassador had in front of them. But, you know, to, you know, the title of the book is Brinkmanship, which is kind of this political strategy or kind of war strategy almost to really, well, to take something to the brink of war, you know, be willing to take it that far without actually going to war uh, to get what you want out of it. And, you know, in, in this case, like, you know, like, especially when you kind of go back to, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis, 
thoughts is like, it was it worth it? You know, because w- w- when we ended it, like, you know, we're not on the brink of war anymore by the end of this. But I mean, I feel like trust was broken all over the place. Beverly doesn't trust Starfleet anymore. I mean, even like in the Ferengi uh, ambassador, um, Ilka or something like that, she, I kind of, you know, kind of pulled away too, because there was just so many different um, plots, I guess, going on within, you know, Starfleet and the Cardassians and, and whoever to, to try to basically prove that the Zenkethi are not trustworthy, you know, and the Zenkethi were actually in the perfect position themselves just to be like, hey, you know, we weren't the ones that turned our backs on you in the first place. And so they're just super manipulative of the Venetian people and who are the ultimate, like they're going to trust everybody because they kind of, you know, kind of like that concept in, in uh, Star Trek Picard of absolute candor. That's kind of how they... Mm-hmm treated people so they didn't understand all this other subterfuge and everything that was going on behind the scenes they were just kind of like tell us the truth and let's move on but nobody else could do that yeah you take a bunch of people who are untrustworthy and you put a trustworthy person in it and expose is the untrustworthiness of the group right right both of you guys are are just like nailing it i think with the the way this book kind of delves into this subject of trust and how much on the edge of a knife we are. You know, Casey, you were talking about the idea that this book is called Brinkmanship on purpose because that's the game that's being played. That's the political game we're playing. And we are trying to kind of like force the issue in some way here. And 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 I thought it was smart because at this point in the Typhon Pack series, it makes sense for it to kind of almost come to a head. Like, are we going to make this cold war very hot or are we going to find a way around it? And what I did find really interestingly about this was, you know, one of the conversations that Dax has in the book was this idea of like, you know, how do galactic powers and friends and allies who are being put to the test who haven't historically necessarily been friends at all and maybe have been at complete odds with you how do you find trust in it and she says you know it's one step at a time um and that even while you're watching your backs you're going to hope that you're going to be surprised that you'll get the best possible outcome you have to you know have hope in this otherwise Everything will always just stay the same and or get worse. And so I I really liked that because in the end, this book does become about finding some way to trust, you know, with the Zen Kathy, you know, they, they make a, te- a, they make a step towards trust with the Federation. Um, and that helps kind of break the ice of this cold war in some ways. Uh, and I think that's that's really cool. But they had to take that step. And then the Federation then has to respond in kind. You know. And it it's a really. It, it, they're very tenuous steps that are happening. But they are both hoping for them not to get to the point of war. So they are willing then at the end to do what it takes to not have that happen. 
And with all the political machinations there going on, you know, the question keeps getting asked in the book, like, well, why do we do this? Why do we play this game? You know, why do we send spies and all of these things? And it's, I mean, when you come down to it, and I, you know, we will, we'll talk a little bit about it later, but you've got competing worldviews here that are clashing and you're in the end, the Zen Kathy and the Federation are never going to see eye to eye because their, their worldview and the way that they live is diametrically opposed really to the other. But can you find a way to not allow that to descend into war? That's the question. And so I mean, again, I think Una just does a masterful job of not shying away from the difficulty in all of this, um, while at the same time doing what Star Trek does, which in in the character of Dax kind of showing us that we we should and and be working towards this with hope in our hearts that this will be able to change. Yeah, you know, I, I like, too, that she didn't just um, make starfleet or the federation off to just be like okay we're gonna show trust in everybody else so like you know they need to trust us too i mean like when they want to inspect the zenkethi um cargo ships that are coming into that outpost you know the zenkethi are kind of like no like why do you want to do that it's all you know just it's above board we're fine but then when Starfleet comes up with this idea of like, well, we have these other options that we can supply to the outpost that would do the same things. And the Zenkathy are like, well, we need to come to your starbase to inspect those those medical things. And on uh, the Federation ambassador is like, what? Why? Why do you need to come? And they, you just want to see our starbase and get our plans and everything. And it's like, you you asked you asked for the same exact thing and they turned you down and now you're like offended that they're asking you you know and and so like i'm glad that they didn't just be like oh yeah sure we're the federation we're going to be trustworthy so just come on in like you know they felt like they still needed to hide something like because come on down they just (laughs) yeah you, you can't change overnight and like they're they're enemies and they're enemies and you know, after the Cold War, like, there was a lot of trust issues, and there's still a lot of trust issues between, like, the United States and Russia, or, you know, any of our other um, enemies, I guess, from from prior wars. Like, it, it it's going to take a long time, which we see in this book, and Dax is, is great about having that kind of Star Trek um, mantra of, you know, we got to hope in a better future mm-hmm. and, and in the people – and and it's not going to be easy, and and that's I mean that the book is showing that that is not easy in especially in such a tense situation. Would it make sense for her to be that character because she has so many lifetimes of experience, right? So she's seen this play out through multiple lifetimes, and especially with the lifetimes that she's lived, you know, like through Curzon specifically, you know, uh, helping to avert war with the Klingons and all that, you know. So she literally has firsthand experience. Well. Mostly firsthand experiences, as much as possible for anyone from the past of what that looks like. Well, and, you know, there's a lot of similarities between the Federation and the Zen Kathy. Uh, just like you were saying, 
Casey. It's like, you know, well, we want to check your stuff out. Well, we want to check your stuff. No, no. And they're both saying no. It's the same thing with spies. I, so I can't remember which character said, but the, of course we have spies. You know, we all do. I mean, they're spying on us. We're spying on them. It's like, you know, we just do what the other one does because, you know, we would lose if we don't play the same game. And because you're playing the same game, now you're not going to trust one another because you know that you yourself, the Federation, can't be trusted. I mean, if somebody came up to the Federation and said, do you have spies? Are they going to say yes? Are they going to say, what, what are you talking about? Spies? I don't think we have spies. So they know they can't be trustworthy either. So they're reflecting that onto the Zankethi and the Zankethi on the Federation. Now, the Zankethi has their own way of handling things that is a little more brutal than what the Federation would do. But uh, in a lot of ways, they're very similar. And that's where the Venette people, the Venette Convention, is pointing out that, and we're finding out they're all very similar, but guess who's not like that? It's the Vanettes. And they're the ones that are not at war with anybody and and not mm-hmm. having spies and everything. And they're just sitting there sitting pretty. Well, and, and the beauty of that, too, is, and I love that she shows this, is that it's their naivety about the universe. Like, they've been so isolationist for so long that they have no idea what the rest of the universe is actually like. You know, and so, yes, it's there's good about the way they do things, but there's also bad because it, there it's not realistic. It, it's not. I, I always think of that that stupid uh, commercial. Um, I, I think it was for insurance or whatever. And the lady's like, look at my wall, my Facebook wall. And she's literally pointing to a wall and, you know, and then friend makes her mad and she's like. You're unfriended. And she's like, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. And like, that's not how the universe works. It's just not. And and so uh, there, even though we would hope that that could be the case, like in all reality, imperfect beings throughout the galaxy make for an imperfect universe. And so we try to make the best of the reality we have, which I have to ask you guys, you know, you both have mentioned this. We learned so much more about the Zenkethi in this novel. This might be the first novel that really pays attention to them and fleshes out their society. Um, but what we learn is that they are maybe the ultimate in authoritarian societies, genetically engineering a caste system. And in and I would say in many ways in that they are the exact antithesis of the Federation. Um, and reading about it, it was terrifying, just absolutely terrifying. It was almost sad to me, I guess, seeing their society just because of you know what you said, like they're genetically engineered. They they have caste systems that they are like. There's some of them um, that some of the casts that are like bred to not even speak because they don't even need to for, for what they are bred to do. And, you know, it, it seems so horrible and it is, and I think we'll probably get into it a little bit, but there's one of the spies who's in there who like the, the Cardassian spy who, as she learns about this culture really starts to, um, what's the term they used go native, I think, you know, and, and she's, she's starting to actually 
see how the the Zenkathy society works as far as like it's 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 freedom you know she doesn't have to make any choices she gets up and does the same thing she's actually got friends you know and, and so in some ways you could see why why their society would be like that but uh, you know as far as um if all of the people are kind of um I was gonna say brainwashed but really just bred to 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 be okay with this society you know whereas in the federation we're like you know that that is that is not freedom you know like you you don't you don't have any choice you don't even know there's other worlds out there and yet your people are visiting other worlds yeah because they're tested like you know what are you good at you know and then we're going to put you in that category that's what you're going to be trained to do that's that's your life but they don't know any other way so they're not seeing it as anything invasive or suppression or anything like for the most part, because this is just the way life is and this is their calling and this is the place that they're put into. But for us on the outside, it's very limiting and it's, and it's something that we would never want. We want to make our own choices. And yeah, Mm -hmm. it's, it's troubling to think that, someone could make a decision for all three of us as to what our life is going to be and how we're supposed to, what job we're supposed to be and and what level of society we're at. And somebody makes that decision, not ourselves. I mean, to quote another franchise with a little tweak, this isn't the way this is, this is not the way, This is not the way. (laughs) Right. Um, and I, so I really like you brought up this, Casey, this, uh, the idea of Mamie, the, who's the Cardassian, uh, who is the spy there on Zen Kathy. And she's been there so long that basically she's going native. And in a way that makes sense because there is a lot of Cardassian uh, psychology that kind of fits into this. Um, but she says this, and, and, and this is was chilling. She says, I wish I could just switch myself off entirely, give myself fully to this life. No more worries. Only do what I was told day after day, never having to think again because I know someone is thinking for me. And if there is not a statement that will chill you to the bones as you look at our world today, that's it. This book terrified me because I see more and more people behaving and acting like this. And it it makes me understand why the complete opposite of that is Peter Alden, who says, do you not know there's a caste system on, of Zenkethi bred not to speak? Can you believe that? The scientists decided that they didn't need to speak in order to perform their functions. They're the sick ones. It's a sick society, a wrong society, a bad society. We're right to oppose them and we're right to hate them. And I don't know if we're right to hate them, but we are right to oppose them. And I think that's the thing about this is that this is one of those places where I believe that you can't just, there are going to be times in life where you are not going to be able to say, well, what's right for you is right for you. That's not how this works. There are some things that are just completely and utterly wrong and they will never be right. This is one of those things. Um, and, and I, you know, and that's for me. Uh, and, but I think it, it, it's absolutely true across the board. Like this type of society is wrong, regardless of where you come from or who you are. It's just it, it, it goes against everything that 
we would hold dear and believe to be true, not just for us, but for everyone. But yet the Cardassian agent chooses it, right? She had the opportunity to leave, but she chose it. And you still think even though she's a Cardassian, she would not want that, right? So why, why would she... Is it because her life was just something that she always had to worry about and she always had to make decisions and she just likes that idea? Like she said, she mm-hmm. switched herself off and just sure. let somebody tell her what to do. Well, and I mean, I feel like that's what's so sad about her character is, I mean, you juxtapose her with the human operative that like was willing to blow both of their covers so he could get off that planet because he was so afraid of of being there, um, you know, to where... Others and Kathy thought they were having a romantic relationship kind of across casts that was kind of forbidden. And, and, you know, you know, so he's like, I have to get at, like, I cannot live like this anymore. Like, we don't even know if his mission was done or anything. He, he just, he had to go. He, he was like, I got to get out of here. But then for her, yeah, I, Bruce, I wonder what was her life like before this to where this was the, kind of better option for her life that she wanted to like, she could go get reconditioned and then decide mm-hmm. like this, this is, uh, you know, and I, I think it, I think she said somewhere like, this is the perfect out for me. Like, right. yeah. you know, but to yet, get out of the spy game, but yet she chose her friend as in Kathy to get off the planet. So she saved her friend from mm-hmm. getting out of that, but she stays for it. Well, I think the thing about it, and this is, this is the thing that was so chilling for me was that there are people in this world who would literally choose to live a life where they have zero responsibility. They're responsible for nothing and they just get told what to do day in and day out because they don't want the responsibility, right? They, they don't want to live a life of responsibility. Um, and if anything goes wrong, it's, it is really nice when you can just blame whoever else is in charge because it's not your fault. It literally isn't your fault. You know, because that's not your station. And, you know, I I think to me that's the thing that is scary is that we would live in a world where people would actually choose to not be responsible because um, and and that they would rather live a life where, yeah, they just get told what to do because they can they can they can just pass the buck, you know, and and I to me, that's that's. That's terrifying. That's, that's, yeah, so. Well, you just described my cats. That's what it reminded me of. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. The the one character I do kind of worry about how she's going to cope with this is, is Corey, her friend that she transports away instead of herself because she, without consent now we we can argue that Corey's about to have the best life of any zenkethi out there uh, because she will be totally free but from Corey's point of view she's she she was just beamed away into like she didn't even know other mm-hmm. worlds existed and she li- literally just got you know scienced away you know with a transporter uh, you know and, and I mean, they give us some hope in the book. I think it was uh, Peter Alden who was going to essentially be working with her to help her um, kind of learn about the society. But it reminds me of that Next Generation episode um, with, uh, was it, they act, they like transported somebody up to the ship and then she like thought Picard was a god. But then I think she, I think she ended up committing suicide at the end of that episode because she just couldn't bear to um 
live with the knowledge of you know uh other you know aliens out there i guess and that their god wasn't actually a god it was just another alien or whatever and i think we have a little bit more hope for Corey at the end of this book like it seems like she's going to be okay but i mean it was so abrupt for her and i remember just i kind of had to stop reading when when that happened i was just like oh my god like her mm-hmm. her life might actually be over now like is it better to like do that to somebody versus just letting her stay in that life you know that she already knew i i don't know like was she ready to be ripped out of the matrix <laughs> yeah you know you don't unplug um, somebody once they get to a certain age exactly exactly but i i think so with Corey, i think the thing that was interesting and i think maybe this was what una was thinking but we get the feeling like many more Zen Kathy, even though they have been genetically engineered to be certain things, still have this desire innately somewhere along the way for some kind of freedom. And, and that means they sometimes break the rules, you know, like they have forbidden affairs and they do these type of things that go against the edicts of the Rev, you know, and there it's it's almost like she was trying to at least it felt like to me what was being said is that you can't you really can't stamp freedom out of people completely um even if you are genetically engineering it out of them um unless they choose it specifically like yeah that makes you, a good, you you're get a good point. Who, Be, yeah. That's because the fact that they do reconditioning shows that there's people who mm-hmm. try to move yep. beyond that. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, I just say it's so well written, you know, um, and it's, it's really good. Um, and part of this, like for the series and for the book, you know, one of the things we get to is the idea of like recovering identity, especially for the Federation who, exploration has become something that they can't even think about anymore because of all the, you know, stuff that's hit the fan over the last like 10, 15 years in the Federation. Like everything has hit them with the Dominion, the Borg. I mean, it's just been endless, it seems like. And how do they recover their best selves, their best destiny? Like, because right now it's gone and I really, you know, um, I love that there is an answer in that and it's through Crusher at the end. Um, even with all that happened to her, she sees that there is a way forward and I thought that, that was pretty beautiful in this book. Yeah, it's, uh, I feel like a common theme in Star Trek, uh, you know, and. I think Picard says at one point, do you remember when we were explorers? And I think they've, they mentioned it in Enterprise probably during the third season, like, oh, we want to get back to exploring. And I mean, even the Titan novels have, have really kind of taken that, like the, the whole launch of the Titan was supposed to be like, okay, we're going to get you out there to, to start exploring. But again, like every time they try to do that, these, these things, uh, you know, kind of keep bringing them back once they, they, you try to get out and they keep pulling you back in with, you know, war or <laughs> the brink of war. Um, but yeah, I, I think um, you know Crusher's story in this was was pretty powerful as far as um, 
just her getting her thoughts on um and and really the whole reason why the admirals chose her to for this mission mission was she was not a diplomat she didn't think like a diplomat she was you don't want to say a common person but she's just a regular starfleet officer and and she was able to to develop friendships with the mm-hmm. ferengi ambassador or you know have these conversations with, with dax and by the end of it was you know kind of like you know we kind of muddied things up a bit while we're here but at the same time like we we do have some hope for the future we can trust each other you know like you know look how far the ferengi have come that they've got like a, a female ambassador who still has to prove herself but like you know has has done a lot of good in this situation too and um you know as as far as like you know i, I don't know if they're ever gonna really get to a place where Starfleet is just exploring ever again, but, you know, to, to see people in Starfleet or the Federation who still have this hope and the ability to trust, or at least the desire to trust, um, I feel like shows kind of that there is hope for the Federation going forward. Yeah. You know, when you were saying about, you know, remember when we were explorers, I mean, how many times have we heard that, like you said, in Star Trek, and I'm just kind of go off on this little tangent, but it's like, yeah, are exploration stories boring? Because it seems like a lot of Star Trek goes away from exploration and even acknowledges it. Because I guess we have to have the big baddie or the big war or the big whatever going on. And we've even seen this in Discovery. There's always some big event that's happened every season that they got to save the universe. And, you know, I like the smaller stories a lot of times. But, you know, I like it all. So I'm just, you know, it's just a criticism in in some ways I'm giving to to the authors and the writers of Star Trek is like they feel like they have to go big sometimes. And then we get away from exploration. And we wish we could go back. But 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 the exploration that we're finding in these types of stories is that the world and the universe isn't safe and it isn't always pretty and it's not always easy so that is part of the exploration you know we always explore one another and we find that the the people of this planet are so innocent that they're children and so they have an innocent trustworthy view of the world because they're essentially children but when you become adults because you have that experience with others you become less trustworthy and maybe you know you 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 lose trust in others and you become less trustworthy sometimes in yourself you tend to lie or cheat or something or whatever to to get your way and crusher's right you know we have to to move beyond that we have to have hope in ourselves and others that we can move beyond it. And you just have to hope that we can work and work as long as you work towards it, you will achieve that, that hope of, of getting to a peaceful resolution. And that's, that's part of the exploration. That is the journey. Yeah. And I mean, I think the, the cool thing in that and, it's something that Crusher finds with her friendship with Ilka, who's the uh, Ferengi ambassador, is this idea of friendship. You know, when when we can find a way to become friends with people. Um, and I think there's something really beautiful in that. Um, and that friendship then, of course, you know, I think the, the, the beauty of that is, is like friendship breeds trust. Because, you know, as you get to know somebody, you 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 learn if they are trustworthy, right? And so I think 
the the thing that the book allows us to see too is that there is the possibility of friendship with people who we even thought of as enemies at one time even you know people like the Zenkathy right um and that there is the possibility that we could move closer together with them um and i think that that's that's cool i mean again like you know bruce you mentioned and and i think it's so true you know this is this is the thing that like star trek's good at right is is reminding us of those things that friendship is possible even in the most unlikely of people and in circumstances right you know and so i i I do i think that's really uh, an important message and and it's one of the things that i think the book does really well by the end so that there is some hope because you know i think in in the book series at this point i feel like star trek had kind of lost a little bit of that and this is kind of about putting that back together a little bit and giving us an opportunity to like hopefully see how we can move forward and you know i think one of the things that this book i really enjoyed as well is that Una does a great job, I think, of very organically allowing the leading ladies to shine. So you have characters like Dax and Crusher and Ilka who really come to the forefront in this book uh, and get a lot more page time than than we've often seen. And it's to the benefit. I mean, you guys know how much I love Crusher and I love Dax. So it's like the fact that they both get the opportunity to really have something substantial to do in this book, and then you get introduced to this Ferengi ambassador. I think it just shows you the way in which you, you know, you can have these type of books and it doesn't always have to be Picard. That's the main person, you know, like we we can, we can write other stories for other people, which is great. And I think hopefully they'll do more of, you know, <laughs> And I think I think the way that they brought Crusher in here, because you know, w- at first it was kind of it was a little strange that the Crusher was a, kind of the focus, and to some extent it was kind of nice just getting somebody else's point of view on things that were happening. But happening, but you know, when the author, uh, sorry, when the Admiral ordered her to go because you know of her history with the Venetians and and everything, which she was like, I, you know, it was like two days, you know, like twenty years ago. Yeah, it was weird, but then by the end, um, there. I'm glad there was like an explanation. There was kind of a reason behind having her go, and it was like I said before, just just because she she was close with Picard. She's a senior officer. She's a doctor. So like, I think that somebody at somewhere knew <laughs> that this was going to come into play as far as you know the the Zenkethi uh, physiology or whatever, but. Um, it wasn't just kind of like a we're gonna make Crusher the the kind of the lead of this story because we need a Crusher story, you know. Like it could be anybody, but it's yeah. got to be Crusher, and 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 it just it fits so well with her the way that she related to Ilka. That mm-hmm. I I don't know if it would have worked if it was any of the other characters. This isn't. I, I don't think this is one of those situations where you could have just dropped any name in there that you wanted to be the focus. Like it, it, it just felt like it had to be Crusher. And you know, if this was something that was on TV or you know in one of the movies or something like that, it'd be like finally a good Crusher story. You know, like she's mm-hmm. 
expanding just beyond sick bay she's you know going out she's making friends and she's she's chosen for this mission because she's not a diplomat but it, she shows how kind of diplomatic she can be which was really great yeah we get a crusher story of her as a starfleet officer and not just a medical officer right we have right. her mm-hmm. you know visiting the planet doing dip, a diplomatic mission building relationships trying to solve the mystery it's that's what a Starfleet officer does. Whether you're a medical officer or you're an ensign in engineering, you're still a Starfleet officer. You're trained to do these things. And we get to see her not just use the trainings that she got going through the academy, but what she's learned by serving on the Enterprise and other starships. And mm-hmm. that's what you get from Starfleet. She has mirrored and seen what Picard has done all these years. And there's Picard on the planet with her and she's taking the leadership role and she's doing it. Because she's learned from her experiences and watching Picard. And so it was great to see him take a backseat to what she's doing. Well, and and then the cool thing is, obviously, to be very supportive of her, you know. And so I, I think that that's also something that's really cool and, and kind of beautiful about the whole thing. You know, um, these these characters um, are are ones, you know. I mean, you have this married couple and they're both very supportive of one another and in some really beautiful ways. And so I think that is a really neat thing for us to be able to see as well. So, I mean, 100 percent, this is the type of story that, you know, I think Una obviously should be very proud of. Um, and it, it's it's such a, you know, rich and, and deep book. Um, and so. For you guys, I, I mean, was there anything else that just really stuck out to you with the book that you really liked? Um, anything else? Was there anything, you know, we've had nothing but effusive praise for this, which I, I think has been well earned. But was there anything that you didn't like at all about the story? I wouldn't say that I didn't like it, but I mean, the whole kind of, I guess, B story uh, of of the Cardassian spy on the Zenkethi homeworld. It didn't, it never directly connected with the major story, except that Dax had to go pick pick up this spy to get some information or whatever. Um, but that being said, like it was, it was kind of one of like it was it was high time that we learn more about the Zenkethi, and this was a fantastic way to do it rather than just having some Starfleet officers beam down to the planet and try to learn about them. I mean, we got, you know, f- we got like a firsthand uh, view of the Zenkethi society uh, from one of the lower echelons, even while we're watching kind of some of the upper echelons doing what they were doing with the Venet and conve- the Venet convention. Um, so I guess my only kind of like the thing that kind of pulled me away just a little bit was just the fact that they were so disconnected and with the the human operative until he revealed who he was and then eventually got brutally killed by the Cardassian spy at the end um i i was starting to wonder was he going to be somebody like was was it going to be bashir or you know somebody else or how was this going to like connect to you know the the other stories like are we going to find like is is the aventine going to come and uh do something on the planet but they just didn't really connect up. It was just that Dax had to go pick up the spy, which turned out to end up being the Zenkethi person anyway. So 
it was just a little bit disjointed, but at the same time, I it's I can't say that I didn't like it because we learned so much. And it was such a good story itself, you know, that kind of, you know, whereas back in was it Rough Beast of Empire that had two different stories in it that never really seemed to connect. This one had two that didn't quite connect, but I didn't I don't care because they were both, you know, the A and B stories, I guess, were so well done. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, they did kind of connect, like you're saying, but not directly. But yeah, because what you hear in the convention is between all these different factions of, you know, governments and species and such is the trust, the lack of trust and knowing that there's spies and, you know, they, everyone has spies somewhere and we get to see some of those spies, right? So that kind of has that connection there, too. I would say that the thing I probably liked the least, but then it corrected itself later is the Cardassian negotiator Detrick that was a little over the top and a little too angry and almost a stereotypical mad Cardassian. And then we kind of find out that it was an act to begin with. So that corrected it for me. But if she, that character, I was just like, Oh, whatever this, this woman's just mm -hmm. like, she needs to like chill out. <laughs> Take a chill pill. Yes. Yeah. Um, You know, Casey, I do think, I really do see your point very, very much, um, and and mainly because there, there that part of the story in and so I've obviously I've read this book before, and so that helped um, for sure because I could remember why we were you know doing this, and at the same time, like I do actually feel very similar to you in and how this this book kind of fits together i do think that it was a little bit frustrating um sometimes to see that connection and you know i mean the the book itself, the whole point of it is, the, and, and the whole point of the start of the story is to just let us know basically who the Zen Kathy are. Um, and I think that's great. Um, but it, it, it didn't always connect with me in a way that I was as interested in as I would have wanted to be. But I still think it was, I mean, I, I can't complain. It, you know, I think. Una a good did story a great is a job. good story. <laughs> the story is a good story, right? And it is definitely really it is a really important part of of what she's trying to do with the Zen Kathy themselves and explaining to us just exactly who they are um, by allowing us to be kind of freaked out at the fact that somebody who isn't Zen Kathy would literally choose this um would choose this life you know i mean i think i think that's the thing about it that that really works is is just you know as we talked about how legitimately terrifying that is that anybody would say no this is the life that i desire um and so i really i do i, I really liked um, I liked that part of the story, even though sometimes, like you, 
um, I found myself a little bit, um, a little bit sometimes frustrated with it. And I think part of that is just that I was frustrated with her mm-hmm. as a yeah. character. Like I'm frustrated with the fact that that she would she would choose that. I like I kind of want I I just revile against that idea. So I think in many ways one of the things that Una did by doing that part of the story is she did a the right thing. Like she she chose correctly to do that story in that way because it is so like ugh, you know I it just it it's antithetical to everything that I obviously would choose myself and and so yeah oh my gosh um, but in the end she still did kind of the right thing by sending along the information that she had gotten yeah but now yeah. too like now the Federation has or the Cardassians well the Federation through the Cardassians I guess have this information. Mm-hmm. firsthand who the who the Zenkethi are and what it's like. And now they actually have a, a person. They have a Zenkethi refugee, really, um, who mm-hmm. will probably, given time, be willing to talk all about their society and the Federation and the Cardassians and whoever else in the Kinemar Accords are going to be able to learn a lot mm-hmm. about this enemy that has been so mysterious yep. for so long. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I, I think that's a great point. So, um, I don't, I don't know, guys. That I guess are we at the point where we should do some ratings? Yeah, let's do it. So, I'll just tell you that I really enjoyed this novel. I know I read it when it first came out. I uh, didn't remember a whole lot about it, but as I was going through it, I was like, "Oh, I'm remembering this, and I'm remembering that," and. Yeah, a spotlight is on Crusher and Ezri Dax, which is great. I just wish instead of Picard and Dax on the cover, it was Crusher and Dax on the cover. But we know Picard mm-hmm. sells books, so yeah. that's why that is. But the Zenkethi is a big part of this, as we were talking about. And I did enjoy the story with the agents, um, even though it can be disturbing. But that's what I liked about it. It's mm-hmm. It was disturbing. Yeah. It's made it interesting to me. But just learning more about the Zenkethi, this is definitely a book that if someone wants to learn about them, this is the book to read. And uh, yeah, just all the trust issues going on and who did what and what's on the ships or what's not on the ships and can we look at it? No, you can't. All that, all that that was going on. And the characters were spot on. Una always gets those right. And Una's always great at yep. writing Cardassians too. That's, that's her thing. Yeah. So I would give this book five out of five Zenkethi boats that I'm riding into a beautiful part of the home world. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. I, um, you know, this, yeah, it was a fantastic book and, um, you know, I, I think I like it even more after having talked about it here, um, you know, between learning more, more about the Zenkethi, but even just the, the political intrigue, the, the brinkmanship, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's, that's going on in this book, was kind of akin to like articles of the Federation or some, some of the other kind of political thrillers that we've had in Star Trek. There's not a lot of explosions and fighting mm-hmm. and all this stuff that go on, but it's still a very captivating story. And like, I, I agree, Bruce, the, the voices of the characters that we know are right on, but even the new characters are like her original characters. I, I always have a hard time like 
reading those characters, but I feel like they were so well fleshed out that um, I I knew who these characters were. Like I didn't have to keep going like which one was this or which one was that. Like I really knew who they were, and and that made it really easy to get through. And um, so yeah, I I would actually give this one. I rated it a four, but it's a very strong four out of five uh, shipments of uh, solvents that we want to inspect but are not allowed to. <laughs> so this is the second time that I've read this book, and I'm giving it a straight-up five. Uh, it's I think this is one of the best... Star Trek books out there. Uh, Una has done this a few times. She did this with the Crimson Shadow in the fall. Part of that is I think that this book transcends Star Trekiness. Like it's a good book, and it would be a good sci-fi book regardless of if it was Star Trek because the themes and everything in here are so strong. So I really like this book. Um, obviously. And I highly recommend it to anyone. And yeah, I would give this five out of five Beverly Crushers <laughs> because I can't think of a better rating other than maybe five out of five Esri Daxes. I was going to say Daxes. So, yeah. So um, that's how much I love it. Well, Matt, we did it. We've done all the 24th century books in that post-nemesis time. Yeah. Well... And I don't know if this counts, but we haven't done Left Hand of Destiny. Um, so we're going to do those uh, here this year, which will be fun. Um, but I mean, yeah, we pretty much, it really is. Most of them have been covered now, which is kind of crazy and a uh, big accomplishment for literary tracks after, I don't know, I think this is, we started the show in like 2012. Wow, so, a decade. Been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a long road, as they would say. But on that road, Bruce, I'm so glad that you've been here with me in it. And if people maybe, you know, wanted to catch up with you and see what else you've got going on, where could they find you? I'm on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral with the underline Rex. I'm also on Facebook. You can find me there. I'm on Goodreads, so you can see what I'm reading. And you can also find me on the Positively Trek podcast with Dan Gunther. And Casey, it's always good to have you back here in Literary Treks. I'm so excited that you've been joining us more often, and I think the listeners are too. So where could they find you? Well, thank you, and I am very excited to be here. And yeah, well, I will continue popping in uh, from the green room with Dayton as long as you'll uh, have me. So, And in the meantime, you can uh, find me at Knitting Trekkie pretty much everywhere, Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads, Letterboxd, um, also on Facebook, and um, also on a podcast called Mickey's Marvels, where we talk about everything under the Disney umbrella. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, of course, you know, you could find me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero, all those places under the name Matt Rushing Zero Two. Uh, you can also find me here on the network. We've got a whole other side of the network that, well, we don't just talk star trek here in the network we talk all the fandoms we love so if you want that you got to go to the 602 club you can also find me there in the 602 club with a couple of bonus shows as well with snyder cuts as well as assembling avengers with john mills then you'll also find me doing the orb as well as warp 5 the orbs about star trek deep space 9 
Warp 5 is about Star Trek Enterprise. And over on the Nerd Party Network, I've got two shows. One is a Finnish show. Did that with Drea Kaufman called Owl Post. We talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. And last but not least, you'll find me doing Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast with the aforementioned John Mills. But as always, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.